Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, and this is a Slate Spoiler Special podcast on Cars 2, the new Pixar movie sequel to the first Cars from 2006. With me calling in from the DC Slate studio is Mr. Dan Coyce. Hey, Dan. Hi, Dana. Dan, critic for Washington Post, Village Voice, Vulture, any place else you want to shout out? Whoever will pay me. Freelance Whoever critic will pay me. at large. You specifically asked to come in and talk about this movie because you weren't going to write about it and you wanted somewhere, as you put it, to unload your despair. So yes. um, so we can start off from that point. You're in despair about Cars 2. It's just very frustrating to me that after 25 years of doing nothing but making great movies, Pixar has made a an adequate movie that I can't get that excited about. Yeah. What about the first Cars? I mean, that's often cited as one of the lesser of the great Pixar movies. It's the least of the great Pixar movies, I thought, until now. But it still was a movie that did reward repeat viewing of the sort that parents always have to do with kids' movies um, and of the sort that other Pixar movies have rewarded even for parents without their children. You know, it's a movie that is a little bit simple and a little bit silly but has a real heart behind it and has a lot of characters that really stick beyond sort of the central pair of Lightning McQueen and Tomator. But Cars 2, I just really felt like it's the first Pixar movie where it just seemed like anyone could have made it. Um, any studio could have got these voices, could have written this story, could have jammed a spy thriller into a movie about talking cars. And it didn't seem that different to me than like G-Force. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. And I guess maybe that's where the note of depression is coming from in critics' response to it. I'm still in the middle of writing my response, and I kind of can't decide how annoyed to get about Cars 2. I agree that it's a subpar Pixar movie. But then as I start off by saying, and I end up scrapping this lead as the review goes on, but I mean, isn't it the case that we're sort of grading it on an unfair curve because of its its brilliant siblings? And does this necessarily mean that we have to see Pixar as a declining studio, as, as it seems like some people are too quick to opine? Well, certainly the next movie will tell whether it's a declining studio, but I do have to say that it's not our fault we're grading this on that scale. It's the fault, if you want to use that word, or the blessing of Pixar of being so good at what they've done for the last 25 years and 12, 30, I mean, however many movies it is that they've made. And they've managed to make children's animation a world where uh, real art is being made in the United States. I mean, it didn't used to be that way. In the heyday of Disney, it was true. It's true of, of um, Hayao Miyazaki and other animators in other countries right now. But in America, for the last 20 or 30 years, that hadn't been true until Pixar made it true. And you know, people complained about their movies suddenly being nominated for Best Picture when, the, when Oscar expanded the standards to 10. But I never complained because I thought they were worth it. I thought they were real pieces of art that mattered in the cinematic landscape. And so, yeah, I'm grading on a harsh curve, but it's the harsh curve that they created. And it's one that, by that standard, Cars 2 really flops on. I mean, it just feels like a, a mass-produced piece of children's entertainment that your kids will like fine and then forget about two days later. So I guess from a sheerly plot perspective, let's get into some of the story and some of the reasons why we don't think this movie works. I agree that it's overly crammed with plot and that's a big problem, but I think the essential problem with Cars 2 has to do with the protagonist. So instead of Lightning McQueen, the Owen Wilson-voiced red race car that's the protagonist of the first movie, the protagonist here is his best friend Mater, who's a tow truck, a rusted old tow truck, voiced by Larry the Cable Guy, the blue-collar comic. And, uh, and 
essentially to me, Mater is just not worthy. He's not a worthy protagonist. He's not complex or interesting enough to be a protagonist. And you just really don't want to spend that much time in Mater's company. He's a foil. I mean, are you with me there? Right. Yeah. I mean, it seemed to me, I mean, he's one note enough that it seemed to me like they, like Pixar had made an entire movie about Buzz Lightyear when he's in a Spanish mode. To me, it was sort of a Gomer Pyle scenario. Like, I don't really want to accompany Gomer Pyle on a spy adventure. He's just too irritating. The only source of his jokes is how dumb Mater is and how he interprets everything literally, which also leads to a kid versus grown-up problem where Mater's jokes... Almost all of them fell into this strange space between they were too verbal and sophisticated for most little kids to get them, but they weren't funny enough for adults to laugh at them. So they sort of occupied maybe there's some some age zone where these these jokes would have landed, but it, was, it wasn't happening in my screening. Right. And there's an additional thematic problem with the movie, which is that the movie spends really a substantial amount of time giving us the opportunity to laugh at how stupid Mater is. And then at the end... Uh, showing us that Mater feels bad when people laugh at how stupid he is and that he really actually has something to offer, although what he has to offer in the context of this plot is simply his encyclopedic knowledge of the way that engines work. But, you know, if the idea of the movie is supposed to be to value your friends even if they are not smart in the same way that you are, surely making Mater the object of uh, the butt of jokes for the first hour of the movie is not necessarily the best way to go about passing that message along. To the extent that there's any kind of um, uh, psychological or emotional component to this story and that it's not just the spy mechanics of the sort of two concurrent spy stories going on, it's this fight that Lightning McQueen and and Mater have right after the first leg of of the big race, the, the World Grand Prix that this movie is structured around. And essentially, there's just this moment where Mater, because he's a big rube from the country, is embarrassing his friend, right? And uh, right. and Lightning McQueen sort of tells him, "You've got to back off." And and he actually, it is he's somewhat right, right? Mater, in fact, did cause him to lose the first leg of the race, and is sort of a being a big pain in the ass. But the differing between them is just nowhere near the level of sophistication of even the Toy Story short that comes before the movie that I assume is playing before the movie all over the country. There's a little short film with the with the Toy Story characters, and there's just more more richness of character and story in that five-minute clip than there is in this entire movie. Yeah, it's a pretty vast gulf, in fact, and it's one that, I mean, even my kids noticed upon seeing this, is that when we walked out of that movie, they were talking a lot more about the Toy Story short that they'd seen for five minutes than about the Cars movie that they then watched for an, like an hour. And Were your girls really confused about the actual plot of the movie? Because I was thinking, I'm really glad I didn't take my five-year-old because she would have ruined the whole movie for everyone by reasonably asking what's going on every five minutes. Uh, I mean, they did ask what was going on a lot, but they didn't ruin the movie for anyone because all so were all the other kids. Right. I mean, I guess it's the nature of kids to ask what's going on in a movie, but in this movie, I actually could have used a guide myself because there's so much sort of James Bondian plot that's not that interesting stuffed into every crevice that I sort of stopped trying to get it completely after a while. But Right. Well, so maybe to fulfill the spoiler portion of this podcast, uh, the movie is structured around this World Grand Prix, which is a a race set up by a um, wealthy industrialist, a wealthy British industrialist, who wants to prove that his clean fuel is superior to gasoline. Um, And so he invites all the great race cars of the world, Formula One cars, NASCAR cars, uh, open wheel cars, to... um, to race in these three legs of the race. The first one is in Tokyo. The second one is in some little coastal town in Italy. And the third one is in London. And, you know, there's a showdown between Lightning McQueen and his Italian rival, who's voiced by John Turturro. And on top of this structure is overlaid a very convoluted 
plot that which is essentially a spy thriller, a spy satire, uh, in which Mater gets all wrapped up with these two British agents voiced by um, Michael Caine and Emily Mortimer, um, who are trying to stop a plot to destroy the cars that are racing in the World Grand Prix because someone, we don't know who, wants to undercut this effort to promote all in all the uh, clean burning fuel that's that all the cars in the Grand Prix are running on. And so there's, you know, there's hidden messages and there's, you know, spies shooting video in secret and there's codes and there's disguises, disguises and and Mater gets outfitted with this uh, complicated computer system that can cloak his identity. And yes, it's very, I mean, it's very confusing even to me, needlessly confusing, um, it, it, which was odd because one of the great hallmarks of Pixar has always been the very elegant simplicity of their plotting and the way that they tell simple stories that are emotionally based, not based around usually a lot of business. And they may have great set pieces within those stories, but you can boil down the core of almost any Pixar movie to like one sentence. Right. As in the first cars. I mean, it was basically a little red car really, really wants to win a car race and eventually does. Right. You know, or a toy story to a toy becomes finally comes to terms with the fact that he is a toy, but is rescued when he gets lost, you know, or whatever. Any Pixar movie can usually be boiled down to a pretty emotionally resonant thing. And in this, there's so much going on in Cars 2. There's so many different plots, so many new characters, so much unfunny, fussy business that it's not a particularly pleasurable viewing experience, I think, for adults. And it's the first Pixar movie that I would ever say this about. But if you, you know, Adult cinema fans have known for many years that Pixar movies are worth seeing whether you have kids or not. But this is the first Pixar movie in a long time that I would very, very bluntly say it is not at all worth seeing if you don't have kids. Dan, let me just stop you for one minute for a word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Bing, the decision engine, a search engine that lets you customize results, for example, according to what your friends have read and liked on Facebook. So if you're looking up Cars 2, you can see the reviews your friends have read of it. It also does a good job of organizing information so that you can quickly see a trailer for Cars, where to see Cars. I tried binging Cars and got all the links that I wanted on the very first page. And their movie page, bing.com slash movies, is also a really great clearinghouse of trailers and movie information so that instead of having to go to your local paper for screening information, you just get it all in one spot. So thank you, Bing, for your sponsorship of Slate Podcast this week. And back to Dan Coyce. To me, there were still pleasures in watching the movie, even though there was a general pall of, you know, slight boredom over the whole thing. Did you get any moments of pleasure, though, out of the little details? I mean, the, the, the visuals are still great. There's still those kind of tiny little background story details, things that come out through the, the visual design. Sure. But the pleasures to me were, were not that different from the pleasures I get out of watching, you know, out of seeing Despicable Me or something. The, the surface is great. Pixar can still make things look beautiful, but so can other people now. I mean, that's not, that used to be exclusively their domain, but it's not anymore. Other animation companies have found ways to be really good at that too. Um, And you're right that there are background details that are really enjoyable and jokes that do pop. Um, You know, I, I was a big fan of all, of a lot of the stuff set in Japan. I love this interpretation of Japanese culture through cars, where it's a world of tiny, tiny subcompacts and smart cars. Um, and, you know, a, a Japanese bathroom uh, turns into like a nightmare for Mater when he stumbles into one and gets underbody flushed beyond his wildest dreams. Um, but all those details, you know, to me, 
were fun, but they were the stuff that usually make a Pixar movie fun, but they're not what make a Pixar movie great. Right. But do you remember the uh, the Michael Keaton villain in, in the first Cars? He was sort of one of the minor villains, but Chick Hicks, the, the car character that he played? Right. I mean, that was just that was such a complex villain compared to anything that this movie has to offer. It made me it made me miss Michael Keaton. It may have been more his voice work than the way the character was written. But all of these villains seemed seemed very, um, you know, just cut out from the same cloth and just sort of placed there to be obstacles in the story. Right. I will say that this this movie did not solve for me the the greatest question of the Cars universe, one that really has tortured me since watching the first one, which is why in the Cars world where there are no humans and cars take the place that humans would otherwise take, why does anyone grow crops? <laughs> right. So what is, what's the place of, of vegetables in this universe? When there's, right. the, there why? seems to be some food along the lines of how we, we humans understand food in this movie, right? Right. There's a whole sushi joke. I mean, Mater eats a bunch of wasabi. But why is there wasabi? They don't eat fish. Do they have wasabi with their gasoline? But that doesn't make any sense. And, you know, in the first Cars movie, we see Lightning McQueen in his truck driving across great fields of grain. But why are there fields of grain? Cars don't eat bread. It's true. It would be nice if we knew. I mean, I, in general, I, I have a lot of admiration in both Cars movies for the amount of detail that has been thought through in the automotive universe. And for example, I love the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris with the little sculptures of cars in the porticos instead of saints. Yes. There were there were tons of great background details like that. But yeah, you're right. If you're really going to carry it through, we should know what other species are doing in this world. Is there anything that isn't automotive that's that's sentient in the Cars world? Right? Do they have Seemingly pets? Seemingly not. I mean, are there any pets? Like... Do we ever see anyone have like a pet bike or, or something like that? <laughs> I don't think we do. We see pet little, bike like, on a leash, right? That's that seems like it would have been flying a good dragonfly, like tiny helicopters functioning that role, and uh, but everything I think is a machine. There's some um, really great playful stuff in the in the final credit sequence when we see a bunch of uh, postcards and snapshots from from Mater's and and Lightning McQueen's travels around the world, and that's that's a really sweet and pleasing part. I guess I have right. trouble getting as as pissed off at this movie as as you are, and, and as a bunch of people I think seem to be. Maybe if I felt that it was you know the beginning of some decline, then I would I would be more depressed about it. But I guess I'm more likely to just cut these guys a break for making one bad movie out of every fifteen or twenty. Uh, it's just I view every Pixar movie as an opportunity to be blown away again. And so I, I sort of feel, I take it personally, I think that that opportunity has been taken away from me. You know, that they spent untold amounts of money and devoted the efforts and work of thousands of gifted animators and production people toward making this totally disposable piece of entertainment. I you guess know, the question- I know that they could do better. I guess the question would have to be, is this, do you regard this as a, as a sort of cynical slide on their part and that they're phoning it in because they can? Or is this a case of one off movie or maybe this movie never needed a sequel in the first place and it was the sequelization that was the mistake? It doesn't seem cynical to me. I mean, John, what's been interesting to me all along about the Cars franchise is that John Lasseter, the head of Pixar, now the head of Disney Animation uh, in Toto, loves Cars. I mean, I feel like I, I've heard him quoted as saying it's essentially his favorite Pixar movie. The story means a lot to him. He co-directed this film. And I don't think he's faking that. I don't think that John Lasseter loves the Cars franchise because it moves a lot of Happy Meals. I think that he legitimately loves it and the messages of it. And he's always been a gadget head. I think he taps into the kid in him that is one of the things that's made him so successful. But that said, I think that he is perhaps unblinded to the to the necessity or lack thereof of a Cars sequel. It's a movie that certainly didn't need a sequel. And I mean, Pixar has shown that sequels can work and and exceed the quality of the original 
films. Toy Story 3 was better than Toy Story 2, which was better than Toy Story 1. And and I actually am not even that worried about Monsters, Inc. 2 or the prequel to Monsters, Inc., even though Monsters, Inc. is my all-time favorite Pixar movie. But in this case, it wasn't a movie. The characters were not so rich that we needed to know more about them. We already knew more than we needed to know about them in the first Cars movie. Um, But no, it doesn't seem like a cynical ploy to me. It just seems like a misjudgment. That seems like it might lift a little bit of your gloom about it if you if you don't actually attribute it to just just cashing in on the cars phenomenon. I did see somewhere talking about upcoming Pixar movies that they're thinking about doing one called Planes, so so they could slowly move through worlds of every kind of automated vehicle. Coming in two thousand fifty five, automated wheelchairs. Right, Segways Inc. Segways, the Pixar movie. Well, I'll be very interested in the next Pixar movie, which additionally is the first Pixar movie to have a girl as the protagonist. Right. Do you know anything about the story of that one? It's called Brave. Um, there was a teaser for it in front of Cars 2, but it you know it just gave a lot of atmosphere and showed that the girl in Brave is some kind of warrior who rides a horse and has red hair. Oh, I didn't see the teaser before Cars 2. Maybe they weren't showing it in my theater. I just saw the, uh, the one with Woody and, and co. I mean, it looked gorgeous, of course. And I mean, Pixar has always been so boy-oriented that, you know, as a father of daughters, I'm pretty excited that they're doing a movie with a little girl as the lead. And this movie will be a test for me. I mean, it's an original story. It's not a sequel. There's no excuse for it to suck the way there is a sort of an excuse for Cars 2 to suck. Um, and I hope it's great. Yeah, I'm excited for the girl protagonist, too. Although I could never completely get on the Pixar's misogynist bandwagon, given that they have Eve and Jesse and, and, and Dory the Fish in, in Finding Nemo and a lot of great female characters that aren't protagonists. Oh, yeah. They never seemed misogynist to me so much as comfortable. You know, right. In the same way that Cars 2 was obviously a comfortable movie for them to make. Yeah, and it is, and it is, it is going to be nice to see them pushing their boundaries, I hope, more in the coming, coming years. Well, Dan, I'm glad you were able to come here and, and unload your despair, and thanks so much for coming in to talk Cars 2 with me. Thanks, Dana. Our producer is Krishnan Vasudevan, our editor is Melanie McAfee, and the executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.